started. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Em. How are you? Okay. How was your Halloween? Oh, yeah. We haven't talked since then. Yeah. Halloween was a success. It was really good. We went to a really fun Halloween party. I didn't realize it was like a block party. That It looked yeah. awesome in your pictures. Yeah. It was a good time. They had a, they had a couple bands. Um, our outfits were a hit. We were the couple, the Maitlands from Beetlejuice. Awesome. And then cut to 11 o'clock at night, we see another pair of Maitlands. <gasps> Shut up. In the same, like the same stage of the movie, like they had the masks and everything. All I'm going to say is a lot of people came up to us and said that we were more on, on point. Okay, good. Like they didn't I mean, have, What like- are the chances of having another set of Maitlands? That movie is not current. And that also that exact, because you could be just a regular old Maitlands. Like yeah. they're, they were in that exact place. Like, no, the, in that the masks. Yeah, it was crazy. My dress was better. Okay, good. And it took me f- five Amazon orders to get the right dress. Oh, to try them on, make sure it looked like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it was, cool. it was good. So yeah, and the, and the kids had a blast. Everyone was great. They got uh, a ton of um, candy. It was awesome. Good. How was yours? It was good. You know, we, Daniel projected two movies. The first one was uh, Hocus Pocus and then Beetlejuice. Cause there's not that many movies that are like family friendly. Like we didn't want to like scare anyone too badly. Mm-hmm. And uh, you would be very depressed at how many people did not know either of the movies. Like how many like kids were like, what movie is this? Oh, oh is it from like the 2000s? I was like, <laughs> please just kill me. This is <laughs> depressing. Oh my God. I mean, I would have thought those were classic, especially Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice is a classic. That's just a parenting fail. If you don't yeah. expose your children to those movies. Yeah. It's weird. <sighs> but we had probably, we ran out of candy. That's good. Daniel had to drive out. I had to like stop the kids from walking down the sidewalk. So Daniel could like safely back out and then go and get more candy. And then, um, we, I mean, we didn't, we all, we would have run out of candy. Daniel got out, went out and got more. So we did not run. So, you know, no kid like left empty handed. And then we, you, we have to completely clean up in my neighborhood or someone will steal all your shit. So, <laughs> so then we just, you know, we were in by, I don't know, nine fifteen. That's great. It was good. Yeah, it was fun. Lots of kids. So yeah, Halloween was good. And then, you know, I was out of town. We're recording, like we're doing two weeks again, this episode, because I was out of town for another long weekend. Yeah, that looked like a nice trip. Yeah, Palm Springs. It was nice. It was, uh, have you, you've never been to Palm Springs, right? Nope. It's kind of, it's still kind of hot there, like high in the high 80s, low 90s. But, and then it's beautiful in like January and February. It's like, you know, high 70s, low 80s, whatever. But um, we, my sister-in-law rented a really nice, cute, like mid-century modern um, house. It had a pool and like yard games. And it was mainly to take my mother-in-law and um, she had a really good time. So that's the most important thing. That's she got nice. to gamble, which is her favorite thing in the world. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So nice. I wanted to mention that anyone who's listening who might have suggestions or questions or whatever, we do have, um, there's an email address, oldschoolthepodcast at gmail.com. So, you know, send us an email. Please don't send nudes. <laughs> <laughs> or go ahead, send them. I don't care. <laughs> send us your tits. Don't, don't, <laughs> act, don't act like you don't want them, Emily. <laughs> Uh, okay. Do you want, do you want to get started? Should we get started? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So this is the weeks of November 1st to November 13th. November 1st, I, I had a few things. In 1951, on November 1st, um, Jet Magazine is founded by John H. Johnson. In 1969, November 1st, the Beatles' Abbey Road album reaches number one and stays there for 11 weeks. Wild. 1997, Titanic premieres. Did you see that in the theater? Yep. I mm-hmm. did too. Yeah. 
I mean, it was, it was a, you know, I didn't love it, but it was, yeah. a good, it was a good movie to see in a theater. Cause it was just, you know, massive. Yeah. But yeah. It I was, you're right. It was good. That the, the special effects and everything yeah. were really striking in the theater. So it was, I didn't, yeah, I didn't love it either though. No, I didn't. I didn't think that Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio looked like a, Oh my God. A match. She you just read my his mind. mother. She could have been his mother. She was a woman and he was a child. It didn't, it wasn't believable that they would, that they would hit it off even. It just, everything about it yeah. it was so weird yeah thank you my god mm-hmm. i thought i was the only one who thought that no. and i just saw someone posted like behind the scenes pics on instagram of the of titanic's filming and they're both like i mean baby faced and everything but yeah they just don't look they don't even in the, these behind the scenes pictures they don't look like they would be date it's just weird did you see that other that revolutionary road that they did together it was a more recent movie they did yes but he finally looks like a man in it so it's yeah like that he, looked a little better it took him until like the departed for me to look at him as like a, a man yeah he's kind of boyish he, yeah he looked like a kid for so long so he's also like, really thin it took him a long time to fill out like beef up a little bit yeah but, uh, yeah, like when they were together in Revolutionary Road, that made more sense to me, and I cut. I could see them together. Then they looked, they looked appropriate. But yeah, that movie was tight. depressing, though. Oh my gosh, it was so depressing. <laughs> awful. Oh. No, yeah, it was terrible. That was there was no happiness in that movie. No. Um, speaking of depressing, November first, two thousand six, <sighs> Adrian Shelley. Do you remember her? Did we see that movie together? Why do I have this weird memory that we might've seen it together? I love Waitress. I love that movie. Yeah. I thought it was so cute. So and cute. We might have seen it together. I feel like we were kind of like movie buddies when it came out. I saw it in the movie theater for sure. Yeah. I, so maybe we did. So Adrienne Shelley is the act. She's the, she's an actor and a director and she wrote, directed, co-starred in, in Waitress and also was heavily it was like her baby i mean it was the set design the costume design she was all heavily involved in that and now it's like a broadway show which is yeah so, like, i heard about more that sad i know yeah i don't is it like a musical mm-hmm. oh weird yeah that um the, what is her name the singer sarah i don't even say i don't know how to say her last her last name Bar- Bar- i don't know how to say her last name but she's oh. a, a singer songwriter and she put she wrote music for the play oh okay well don't make anything anyway. a musical now. But she was, this is the why I said it's depressing. She, Adrienne Shelley was murdered at age 40 on November 1st, 2006. She, uh, I was just going to mention the other films she starred in because I didn't realize she was in a lot of like kind of indies and smaller films, uh, including The Unbelievable Truth, Trust, and the movie Factotum. And then she, with Waitress, she moved behind the camera, which I think is really where she shined because I, I thought she she was a, a she was adorable as the friend remember she's the friend oh in yeah Waitress. the quirky friend yeah so cute. so cute so funny and then but I thought it was just a great movie I just think she had nowhere to go but up and it's just major tra- tragedy so and it also her death of her murder it's obviously it's weird because she was murdered but on top of that it's, it's just a weird sad fucked up story so on November 1st 2006 Adrian Shelley was working in an apartment in what the West Village of New York City and she used that apartment as an office. That's why she was there. She was found, husband dropped her off that morning and then didn't hear from her all day. So he was worried and he stopped, popped in there at like 5.30 to see where she was. He found her hanging from the shower rod in the bathroom, with so feet in the bathtub. The NYPD almost immediately said, oh, it's a suicide. And it was only at Shelly's husband's urging that they look a little deeper at this, thankfully. So basically, upon further inspection of the scene, they found a, the investigators found a sneaker print on the toilet seat, and the print matched other prints throughout the building, and they, they matched it to a construction worker. His name was Diego Pilco. 
investigators brought him in, they sat him down, and he basically confessed within short order that he killed Adrian Shelley. He did change his story, oddly. He said that the first story he said to investigators was that he was he's working on a, a project in the building and he'd been making a lot of noise and that Shelley came down, Adrian Shelley came down and said, could you keep it down? He mouthed off to her and threw a hammer at her. And she, she was like, what the F? And went back up to her apartment. And he became worried that she would call and report him to his supervisor. And he was in the country illegally and he was worried about getting deported and he didn't want to get in trouble and go to jail, whatever, everything. And so he went up there to confront her. You know, in her, she defended herself and he hit her back, knocked her to the ground. She was knocked unconscious. He thought she was dead. He dragged her to the bathroom, made it look like a suicide. So I think he was sort of trying to minimize it like, oh, I didn't go up there to kill her. I went up there to sort of talk to her and she, we got into a scuffle and then I didn't mean to kill her kind of thing. Well, so the investigators were like, that's bullshit because she has no traumatic head injury. She had no, she died of um, strangulation. At trial, he gave a different story that was more plausible. He said that he saw Shelly getting on the elevator, followed her to her apartment, waited around the corner. You know, before she could close the door, he snuck in to try to swipe her purse. She caught him and she ran to get the phone to stop her from calling the police. He attacked her. He was, you know, choking her or whatever. And she fell unconscious and he, he dragged her to the bathroom, you know, tried to make it look like a suicide. Unfortunately, the other sad thing about this was that if he just left her on the floor there, she wouldn't have died. And she died from the hanging, which is so sad. So bad. He pled guilty to first-degree manslaughter and was sentenced to 25 years in prison without the possibility of parole. He will be deported to his native Ecuador when he is released. Adrienne Shelley's husband, Andy Ostroy, established a foundation in her name that provides scholarships, production grants, and funding for filmmaking. And I thought this was kind of a nice legacy of hers because one of the foundation's recipients was Cynthia Wade. And she won an Oscar in 2008 for her documentary short, Freeheld. That's the name of the documentary. So, you know, already this um, foundation is furthering Adrienne Shelley's legacy. She was 40 years old. It's really sad. Just really, really, really sad. sad. I remember being very shocked about it. Like, you know, it was a pretty big deal. And it's a good movie. Everyone should it's see it. It's a great movie. Everybody should see it. That's true. It's a real, And it's really like, um, I love that it's sort of like, it's not as whimsical as like a Wes Anderson or whatever, but it's sort of on that. It's remember the colors are all like sherbet colors and they're it's quirky. And then the whole, whenever she's baking her pies, it gets a little bit like magical kind of. Yeah. yeah. I love yeah. that. Yeah. 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 So cute. And Carrie Russell is so cute. Just cute characters. She is adorable. Yeah, it's <laughs> she had a, a Adrian Shelley had a, a, a little girl has a little girl and she's, it can't has a cameo. I think she's in that last scene where she's walking. It's like oh, a flash forward. It's even sadder. Yeah. So um, November 2nd, 2003, Arrested Development premieres. Uh, confession, I've never seen Arrested Development. It is on our list, though, but it's just one of those popular ones. That it's, one of those, it's one of those shows where I watched the first couple seasons and then fell off of it, but it's hilarious. And uh, you could just pick up and watch one standalone episode and pee your pants because it's just so ridiculous. Yeah. And every character is hilarious and so off the wall. No, it's definitely a good one to binge. And then they left and then they came back. Oh, that's right. I forgot about yeah. that. And Netflix brought them back and they had newer episodes. It's, it's so funny. <laughs> it's so stupid. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Uh, speaking of excellent sitcoms, Different Strokes premiered in 1978 on November 3rd. I actually, I loved that show. Really? 
I did at the time. I really loved it. I guess. I mean, I watched it and then I just remembered. And then I started like Googling them. Like some of that was in the same vein of those seventies, eighties sitcoms where it was like a very special episode. Like, yes, (laughs) yes, they had a lot of those. Someone's molested or kidnapped or almost dies or gets AIDS, like something like really hurt. It's funny you say that because one of the ones I remember was uh, the daughter was is like bulimic and what happened? Just one episode. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Cover that. So Kimberly got a she had the other and then and then she also Arnold and her got caught hitchhiking and the hitchhiker brought them back and then she's getting like he's trying to assault her. Ew. And then that I was reading about that one because I remember that one stuck in my head. She's getting attacked and Arnold escapes. And then they're all the reason they were hitchhiking was to get home for the party for Mr. Drummond. Yeah. So when Arnold escapes, the way that they figure out where Kimberly is, they hypnotize Arnold. And that's how he comes oh up. My- where they're looking- <laughs> that is dumb as and shit. They I've wrap it all up so they can all get back to the party. Wow. Um, and then the other one that really bothered me was the pedophile one where um i don't remember that one the bike store one the guy was the selling i think it was a two-parter and the guy was selling bikes and oh I wait i do remember this trying to molest arnold or a friend yeah so it was like a, like it's just like with punky bruce or the kid i was just gonna say that <laughs> it gets stuck in the refrigerator the refrigerator one i thought i was the only one who remembers the refrigerator episode no I'm sorry if if you if you saw that episode, you stayed with you for the rest of your life. Oh, and then the other one that I remembered from different strokes was remember when they introduced that hillbilly Sam, the little oh, redhead boy. <laughs> that fucking kid he, is so annoying with that stupid haircut. Remember when he got kidnapped? No, I don't remember yes, this at all. He got kidnapped, and like it was like some demented dude who had a dead son. And he was trying to replace Ugh, his son with Sam. That's yeah, weird. There was they had a lot of they had a lot of those special episodes. Wow. Well, it didn't work because like virtually every child <laughs> actor in that thing became a basket case adult. Oh, I know that is true. Uh, although the older bro- Arnold, I can't remember. I apologize. I can't remember the gentleman's name, but he's like clean and sober now, and he's gotten his himself together. But poor Dana Plato. Holy shit. I know. Oh, yeah. that was so sad. Oh, Dude, run-ins with the law and she, oh, terrible. Oh, I thought this was so funny. <laughs> November 3rd, 1988. Do you remember the infamous brawl on Geraldo Rivera's show? <laughs> I just remember the, like, him with that big freaking bandage on yes! his freaking nose. Such a dork. What was the year when that came out? It was 88. Oh my God. And it was a recorded episode. It was, I think some people probably watch it and think, oh shit, this was live. No. It was recorded and they decided to release it because, of course, it, it was great PR. It was great advertising for the show. And then douchey old Geraldo Rivera introduces the show. like Milks it for everything. And he worth. says, like, this portrays racism and violence. And he's got a fucking dorky ass bandage all over because he broke his nose during the brawl. And he's got this goofy bit. It's hilarious. Why can I never take that man seriously? I don't know, Geraldo. Like his entire, my entire life. Well, I, I think it started when I was glued to the television to watch him open Al Capone's ball. (laughs) 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 Crickets chirping. I was so excited for that. I totally watched it. I absolutely watched it. Oh my God. I I used to love shit like that. I still love shit like that. It wasn't as rewarding as baby Jessica coming out of the well. No. (laughs) God. I think Uh, Holden might've had a bigger bandage on his face than baby Jessica did. Anyone, and for anyone who doesn't know what the hell we're talking about, there's an episode of, of Geraldo Rivera's show. It was called Geraldo, 
and it featured because this sounded you know the other thing is like does anybody think this was a good idea the stage was packed there were like three chairs on the stage it was a, it was a white supremacists neo-nazis it's a great party jewish activists and african-american activists that's a great plan there that's not going to go awry at all they're all going to get along so of course one of the neo-nazi pieces of shit starts goading roy innes roy innes is a african-american activist he was with he's the national chairman of core which is congress of racial equality and he's like this it was actually that's actually the best part of the video because he stands up <laughs> to approach the neo-nazi and he's like they're about to piss their pants they're so scared and he's like what did you say to me? You know what I mean? Like he, they called him some racial slur. And then it just, you know, from there, one of them stands up and like starts to push him and he like grabs him. And it's just, and you can't even see what's happening. I can't even see when Geraldo gets hit by the chair. I tried to watch, you can watch it all on YouTube, by the way. I tried to see the part where Geraldo gets hit. You can't even see it. It's such a clusterfuck of people throwing things. The audience is either participating or running for the hills. They're like, ah, it's, it's pretty great. And Jerry Springer was like, this is going to be my future. Yeah, Jerry Springer was like, this is a great fucking idea. Make as much trash as possible on TV. If you watch, you can watch the entire, apparently the entire episode. And I, I just skimmed it because I just wanted to find that part. But there has like, some 80s commercials on it, too. <laughs> so, yeah, so that was November 3rd. November 4th, Glenn Campbell released Wichita Lineman, hmm. 1969. 1968. It was 1969's album of the year. My mom had a lifetime crush on Glenn Campbell. Hmm. So 1982, November 4th, 1982, Dominique Dunn succumbs to injuries sustained after being attacked by her piece of shit boyfriend. On That happened on October 30th. Dominique Dunn was the daughter of, of Dominic Dunn, quite famous writer, and he was a producer. He's now famous for his true crime writing. Dominique had roles in lots of TV shows and lots of t- TV movies, but her big break as the teen daughter in Poltergeist. Which we just watched over Halloween, too. On October 30th, 1982, she was at her home in West Hollywood rehearsing with David Packer, the actor David Packer, for their upcoming roles in the TV miniseries V, when Dominique's violent ex-boyfriend shows up at the door. This guy, when I say piece of shit, I mean, I mean, he was so, okay. So his name is John Thomas Sweeney. He was a chef, a sous chef. They dated actually quite briefly. He was violent from pretty much from the get-go, possessive and violent. There were witnesses to this violence. He was witness strangling her, beating her. She had bruises. I mean, the guy was awful. He shows up at her door and she won't answer it. And he's like, please talk to me. Okay, whatever. So she agrees reluctantly to talk on the porch with him. David Packer waits inside. Packer later testifies that he hears a smacking, screaming, and then a thud. He calls the police. He gets this weird uh, response from the cops. They're like, that's not our jurisdiction. He's like, okay. So then he calls a friend and he's like, if I die tonight, John Sweeney killed me. Runs out the back and he's sneaking up the driveway when he sees John Sweeney leaning over the limp body of Dominique Dunn. Sweeney is arrested without incident. He claims he doesn't remember anything. He just remembers he woke up, quote unquote, woke up and his hands were around Dominique's neck. She was on life support until November 4th. She was removed from life support when tests indicated no brain activity. She was 22 years old. So this is an especially infuriating case because the trial was a shit show. The autopsy determined that Sweeney had strangled Dominique for at least three minutes. Despite this fact, Sweeney's attorney claimed a heat of passion defense, blaming Dominique for deceiving Sweeney into thinking that she would get back together with him. During the trial, one of Sweeney's ex-girlfriends testified without the jury present. She told stories of terrible abuse from Sweeney, serious, serious injuries, including strangling, by the way. And during this testimony, 
psychopath jumped out of his chair and ran towards the judge's chamber in a fit of rage. They had to be restrained by two bailiffs and then handcuffed to his chair. His attorney said, made a motion to restrict this testimony so that the jury could not hear this ex-girlfriend's testimony. The fucking judge agreed. I, I, I'm incensed. Ridiculous. The jury never got to hear that this is a pattern of abuse, that this is how this piece of shit treats women. The judge also refused to allow testimony from Dominique's friends who had witnessed Sweeney being violent with against Dominique, uh, both strangling and hitting and pushing and everything else. So because of this, the defense was able to force the charge from first degree murder down to a lesser charge. And on September 21st, 1983, John Thomas Sweeney was acquitted of second degree murder and found guilty of voluntary manslaughter. He was sentenced to six years in prison, but only served three and a half years. I mean, six is gross. Like that's yeah. not that's nothing. But you get out in three and a half. Staggering. It's incredible to me. This judge is a fucking piece of shit. And that defense attorney, oh my God. So after his release, Sweeney got a job as a chef at a restaurant in Santa Monica. Dominique's brother, Griffin Dunn, who's also an actor, he's a well-known yeah. actor, mm-hmm. uh, and her mother stood outside the restaurant every day and handed out flyers to the patrons going into the restaurant, telling them that. that the food they were about to eat would be prepared by the same hands who strangled Dominique Dunn to death. And he quit. He moved out of town. And in the mid-90s, so years later, a man in, from Florida reached out to Dominique Dunn because he'd read an article about Dominique's murder. And he said, uh, my daughter's engaged to a guy named John Sweeney, and he's a chef. Is there any way to find out safely if this is the same John Sweeney? Dominic Dunn and Griffin Dunn, they hire a detective to figure it out. It turns out it is the same piece of shit. And Griffin Dunn reaches out to this woman who's engaged to John Sweeney and, and urges her to break off the engagement and reconsider being with this guy. John Sweeney reacts by saying he's being harassed and he changes his name. He changes his name to John Mora, M-A-U-R-A, and you can Google him. I did. He is currently working at some old folks home in San Rafael, California. And this is actually kind of delicious. I mean, it's, it doesn't make up for anything, but his, the Yelp page for this business where he is currently employed is just littered with one-star reviews saying, you have a murderer employed there. And yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's that. I mean, uh, Dominic Dunn went on to be basically a prominent writer and advocate for victims' rights, and so did his wife, Ellen. And uh, it's just one of those sad fucking stories. You know, sometimes you kind of assume that that a wealthy, famous person from a well-known family, that things are going to go well for them in trial. But I guess not when a, a white, straight male is the one who's being accused. I guess, you know, no, I mean, it's, and it's just fucking such, ridiculous. It's so sad. She was talented, 22 years old, just a baby. And that guy, the worst that happened to him is he had to change his name. Yeah, big fucking deal. He's living in San Rafael. It's beautiful there. Ugh. It's so sad. And yeah, it's um, every time I watch that movie, I think of that. I think about her. It's so sad. She was great in that. Do you remember when she like flips off the, yeah, flips off the, the construction workers or being good? Yeah, it's like does that. Yeah. <laughs> She's so cute. I know. Um, and she shows up when the house is getting sucked in the ground. She got the hickeys all over. Yeah, her she's like, what the? Fuck? <laughs> yeah, she's totally covered in hickeys. She's just making out with her boyfriend yeah. outside, and like his muscle car pulled up. <laughs> yeah, she was great. Oh, so sad. She was in a, apparently in an episode of Hill Street Blues. She played sadly and ironically a, a woman who was being abused by her boyfriend, and she actually people say that the bruises are real on her and oh, in the face. I mean, they added makeup, of course, but so the, she just, you know, and she, 
she tried to get away. I mean, they weren't together that I was actually kind of surprised by that. I thought they were like a long-term, you know, long-term relationship, but she, she dumped his ass shortly after he started being abusive. Not that anyone deserves this. I mean, I, just I mean, if it, you stay with them, you don't deserve to get beaten either. But if, if someone lays their hand on you, like don't, no matter what they like, she shouldn't have gone out in that porch. I mean, he was probably going to get her at I some know. point. Yeah. But that that's the thing is like, what's she guilty like, of thinking that she's safe with her male friend in inside house. just a door away and you know on her own property i mean that's it's so sad that she can't it's even crazy. do we can't even do that we gotta watch our drinks when we go to the bar we gotta do you know it's like so fucked up mm-hmm. moving on to november 5th 1935 parker brothers releases the game monopoly this was banned in my house my mom was like enough with this fucking game because it was like you know capitalism you makes you go out your the throats of your siblings we We never i don't we never got into that game i I, and i hated that game as much as i hated life yeah life was another shitty one i felt like both of those games i think that's a pattern of mine i don't like that game's a commitment like if you're going to play those games you're sitting down you're you're in you're you're devoting at least an hour or more of your time I don't like that shit. No, and it's like money and well, I don't know. Just and then let's see. Oh, 1953, How to Marry a Millionaire. Did you see? Have you seen that movie? It is so cute. You should see that. So, oh, Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. She's Jane so Russell? funny. In it. Oh no, Mar- Jane. The Jane Russell one is um is uh gentlemen prefer blondes. Uh, but it's similar. It came out like the same year, and there the it, the you know it's a comedy as well. The so it's just Mar it's just Marilyn Monroe. It's Marilyn and um Lauren Bacall. And I never saw that. Oh, you got to see it. It's so I actually like it better than Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Yeah, it's Betty Grable, Lauren Bacall, and Marilyn Monroe, and it's so cute and clever. It's not a musical like uh, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. It's like it's just a comedy. It's very funny. Huh. Okay, I'll have to watch it. Marilyn's character can't see, like she has to wear glasses, but she's too vain. And um, it's really funny because she, <laughs> she like bumps into things and like, and she's, she was actually, I think Marilyn Nora was actually very funny and she had really good like physical comedy. So this is really funny watching. She like misses the door, <laughs> walks right into the wall. It's cute. November 5th, 1956, Nat King Cole show debuts on uh, NBC. That was the first variety show, uh, variety TV show hosted by an African-American. I love Nat King Cole. Oh my God. I'm already listening to Christmas music and his... <sighs> I love all his songs. I love his voice. I love everything. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible voice. Uh, November 6th. Oh, I don't really have anything for November 6th, actually. November 7th, I have, interestingly, Jeanette Rankin is elected to the House of Representatives. This is 1916. She becomes the first woman elected to Congress and the first woman to be elected to federal office. Um, She was a Republican representative from Montana and is still the only woman elected to Congress from Montana. So Jeanette Rankin, I know it says, says Republican, but this was 1916 and the parties were a little different. Like generally speaking, they were like Democrat meant states rights, Republican meant more like federal government power. I just want to do a quick, cause I think it's pretty cool and didn't really know her name that well. So I thought she sounded important. She was born on June 11th, 1880 in Montana when it was a US territory. After graduating from the University of Montana, she became a social worker and that was a very new field at the time. Uh, she then got involved in the suffragist movement, eventually becoming president of the Montana Women's Suffrage Association. She won her election to Congress on a progressive platform supporting suffrage, social welfare, and prohibition. Now, just to interject here, prohibition doesn't sound like it would be progressive, but at the time, prohibition was a like a feminist-led movement because of the links between drinking and violence against women and domestic violence against women and children, actually, in the home. So... Uh, there was, oh, my, my dog is raiding his toy basket, so get ready. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's nice. Thank you. <laughs> Good.
Good squeaking. Oh, boy. Um, so she was first elected in 1916, then lost in 1918 due to restructuring in her state. Over the course of her entire life, she supported women's rights, labor rights, and was a pacifist. And she was reelected to Congress in 1939, which meant she was she voted in, in both for both wars, World War One and World War Two. She was in office. She voted against starting either war. So that was a big deal, especially World War Two. She was really, really harassed and treated pretty shitty about voting against the U.S. joining World War Two after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. She said, this is a famous quote, as a woman, I can't go to war and I refuse to send anyone else. So that's why she stood around. She's a pacifist, and pacifists don't vote for war under any circumstances. She believed there were peaceful ways to solve problems like this. She lobbied for and introduced legislation that gave women the right to vote. I thought this was really important and interesting. She notably championed the rights of all women to vote because a lot of like early suffragists were like, oh, just give white women the vote. Mm -hmm. And which is, you know, fucked up because what good are you as a feminist if you're also a fucking racist? So um, she championed the rights of every woman to be able to vote. And I thought this was cool. Her legacy, she has an educational scholarship fund in her name that benefits low-income women over 35. So it's like women over 35 who want to go back to school and need a scholarship. Why, don't, why didn't I know her name before? I, I don't know, because uh, history is written by men. I don't <laughs> White men, I True. guess. So yeah, so I thought that she sounded pretty cool. She passed in May 1973. She lived a nice long life. Wow. Yeah. Oh, another groundbreaking election. And so this is a big, a lot of election shit happens right in the beginning of November. So mm-hmm. November 7th, 1967, Carl Stokes is elected mayor of Cleveland, Ohio. He's the first African-American mayor of a major U.S. city. What year was that? That was 1967. So that's, he became the mayor of Cleveland, Ohio. Cool thing about, I mean, he did, he was actually a pretty well liked mayor from what I could tell. I'm, I might get emails from Cleveland. But, <laughs> um, he famously helped lead the cleanup of the Cuyahoga River. So, you know, the Cuyahoga River is that river that runs through Cleveland and it's featured in the beginning of Major League. Remember the movie Major mm-hmm. League? Remember that song? Famous song by Randy Newman called Burn On. No. Burn On, Big River. So, it's a great song. It's featured in the rolling opening credits of Major League. The Cuyahoga River was so fucking dirty with industrial waste that it caught fire several times. Caught fire, like literally burst into flames. Okay. <laughs> so gross, right? So he he helped, uh, he was heavily involved in getting that, that river cleaned up. And then he eventually, after his tenure, moved to um, New York City and became another first, first African-American news anchor in New York City. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. pretty cool. November 8th. Oh, I don't really have anything from November 8th. Uh, November 9th, 1971 was the John List. You know about John List? Murdered his entire family. John List was VP and comptroller of a bank living in Westfield, New Jersey. Is that your name? Jake, where's Westfield, New Jersey? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Upstate? Yeah, Mm -hmm. up north. No, no, not Amory. He was 46 years old when he decided to meticulously kill his entire family. He shot his wife, Helen, who was 46, well, his well, mother, Alma. Well, kill some of them, and they go to a, a game for his one son. Yeah, t- he took a break. I mean, he took a break. He did take a break. Yeah. <laughs> he took a, an intermission. He out at a soccer game. Piece of shit. This is the piece of shit episode. He shot his wife, then he shot his mother, Alma, who was 84. And then when his children, two of his children got home from school, Patricia, who was 16, and his younger son, Frederick, who was 13, he shot them. Then he drove to the bank, and he closed his accounts. 
after which he went to his older son, John Jr.'s soccer game. When they got home, he shot his older son, and uh, apparently the gun misfired because poor little John Jr. decided to try to defend himself and had to like wrestle with his own father. John List eventually was able to kill the oldest son. He put their bodies in, this was a beautiful old Victorian mansion, he put all their bodies in like the, the ballroom, turned on religious radio programming, turned the lights on, and left. Oh, he wrote a five-page letter to his pastor, left it in the study, claiming that he did this because there's so much evil in the world and he wanted to send his family to heaven. Sure. Oh, but he couldn't kill himself because, you know, he wants to be with them in heaven someday. And if you, if you kill yourself, you go to hell, according to John Liss' religion. He cleaned up the crime scene, cut himself, cut his image out of all the family photos, so and then cr- left. This is so crazy. It makes sense, though, because then when they go to look for him, they don't have an accurate yes. picture of him. Which I, at first, when I first read that, I was like, oh, is this, like, poetic? Like, yeah, right. you know, like, I'm cutting myself out. Of, I don't like, exist. Yeah, like, here I go, no, walk into the ether. They don't, they don't like, have an accurate- no, he was actually... Yeah, now people can't find me because there's not a good picture of me. So the neighbors for it was a lot. It was a, a month before this poor family was discovered dead in their ball. Which is crazy to me. A month. So weird. Well, he had shut off the milk delivery and the paper delivery, but the lights were left on, and the na- that was the first indication to the neighbors that something was wrong. They were like, you know, the net. Okay, the lights are on at night, but why are they on during the you know during the day too? And then they started when the bulbs started going out one by one. They called the police for uh, what's referred to as a welfare check. So that's when they found, they find that they discover the bodies and a nationwide manhunt ensued. They did find his car. The family car was parked at JFK, uh, but there was no evidence that List had boarded any flights. So that was probably deliberate, right, to throw them off because he had taken, turns out we now know that he had taken a train from New Jersey to Michigan and then to Colorado. All the thought that he put into this whole thing. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. He just planned it all out. Uh, he settled in Denver. And by, you know, the beginning, a few months after the murders, he had already renamed himself Robert Peter Clark and became uh, a volunteer with the local Lutheran church, became an accountant. He met his second wife and married her in 85. He was 60 at this point. And in 1988, he and his wife moved to Virginia. I always find this crazy because, you know, we're both married and there's these chunks of time that you spend with these human beings. Like, I can't imagine having this whole other, like creating a whole new life, like literally starting a yeah. whole new life, everything. He picked, the, he murdered the first one. He murdered the first family. And then right. he started a whole new life, changed his name, moved. That's insane to me. He got married and started a whole new, fi- like, that's insane to me. And and how cold-blooded, like you you raise these children. Okay, you hate your wife, you know, whatever. A lot of people hate their wives. Most of them don't kill them. But but you, you raise your children from infancy. There's teenagers. Yeah, it all had to do with money, right? Well, yeah, that's, I mean, he made that big spiel up to the pastor in the pastor letter about sending them to heaven, all that bullshit. But ultimately during the trial, oh, wait, let me talk about how he got caught. Oh, yeah. So in 1989, during the first season of America's Most Wanted, a segment was aired on List. It showed up age progressed. They took an old photo of him. They did find an old photo, even though we cut all the pictures out, but they did find an old one. I think it was like a company photo from his old job. And they were able to age progress it in like a 3D model. Those were so creepy when they used to do that. Yeah, totally creepy. And someone watching who had lived near him in Denver was like, I know who that fucking is. And they called in and he was apprehended two weeks later. I mean, awesome. Yeah. America's Most Wanted. Two weeks later, they had him in custody. 
So first he was like, no, 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 I'm Robert or whatever. I'm not John List. They finally, like, when he was, there's a lot of evidence at the scene. I mean, the fingerprints are in, are, were matching. And so he did, he did confess. He said, I, I did do it. And it was, it, at trial, it came out that he had lost his job and was pretending to go to work. He was, like, getting in his car and sitting at, like, the train station and then coming home at the time he would have gotten home. They were, the bills were piling up. And his wife, who was an alcoholic, kind of drove him crazy because she had untreated syphilis, which she had kept from him. Yeah, I, that part. I mean, what is this? She she apparently got syphilis from her first marriage and then suspected she might have it, but insisted on getting married in, in a state that did not have a, a pre-marital, you know, test for syphilis. So she, so J- John List claimed that he was like deceived by his wife. And then when she finally was diagnosed, it was like advanced syphilis, which affects your brain and stuff. So she was, you know, she was becoming hostile and she was insulting him and making comments about like how he performed in the bedroom and things like that. So she had it coming. Yeah. I mean, really like what, whatever, even if this was just about, you know, I killed my wife and then you had this sob story, you'd still deserve to rot mm-hmm. in prison, but you killed your children. And your mom or his and your mom it was a little old lady, fucking 84 years old. You asshole. Anyway, this is such a piece of shit. We should name, we should change our podcast to piece of shit. Pieces of shit throughout history. <laughs> Because we talk, hosted by Lauren and we Emily. touch on one every episode, at least one piece of shit every episode. Absolutely. History's full mm-hmm. of them. So this this ties in with what you just said, because the court appointed psychologist said that he believes Liz suffered from obsessive compulsive disorder, which explains this weird ass meticulous, like everything was planned out, right? Mm-hmm. Like lining them up and then, and then turning on religious music. So weird. And then taking two trains and whatever. He was convicted of five counts of murder. All of his appeals have been rejected. Uh, and he died in prison in 2008 at the age of 82. Rest in piss. <laughs> Did he have kids with the second wife? No. Okay. That was like, they were both older, I think. Thank so God. Ugh, wow. November 10th, Sesame Street premieres. So you watch Sesame Street, so you right? skipped over your one dude, because I had to look him up. That Lord, what is his name? Oh. Yeah. What, Lord Lucan. I did skip Lord Luke, and that was November. I didn't um, know who that was, and I Googled him. First of all, he was hot. Yeah, he's very handsome. And they wanted him yep. to be like James Bond. Lord Lucan disappears after his his nanny is found dead in his home, and he is suspected of the murder. So it was November 8th, 1974. So I didn't do a deep dive on that because as much as I love true crime, I find that so confusing. It's just very confusing. Yeah, it was like a... Uh, custody dispute pretty much and then the nanny gets killed in the house and his wife gets hurt in the scuffle and she ends up blaming him for the murder but then he vanished and they found like his car was filled with blood and a pipe and all that stuff but but is the claim that he meant to kill his wife i don't know but mistook the nanny for the wife and it just seems so weird but then he vanished and literally no one ever there was no like ever no sighting or anything of him they just declared him legally dead after like do you think he's dead or do you think he's like knows i mean he had a lot of money well maybe he didn't i don't know i didn't i, I didn't, know but i i, didn't I was not it. expecting him to look the way he did he was very, very handsome nice. very like upper crust like mm-hmm. dashing mm-hmm. Look like, he looked like a movie star anyway. yeah so yes i watched i was gonna do something yes i watched sesame street just because it's like a little nicer than the parade of Murder. mur- like murderers and whatever. I I did watch Sesame Street and I loved it. Do your kids watch yeah, it? Yeah. So yeah, Eileen not so much. Even though this year for Christmas she keeps asking for an Elmo, I think she watches it at my mother in law's. But with Marin, like when we were home and I was home on maternity leave, she we were watching Sesame Street. Like that came on every day. She wanted it on. 
though it's an American institution. So it was conceived at a dinner party in 1966 by TV producer Joan Gans Cooney and vice president of the Carnegie Foundation, Lloyd Morissette, as a way to harness the entertainment aspect of television to help educate preschool children. Children's programming at the time consisted mostly of violent cartoons and sketch shows that didn't really reflect much in the way of diversity. I do want to point out, though, that 1969, November 10th, 1969, was the premiere of Sesame Street, and predating it is Mr. Rogers, which I'm not going to lump him into this that they were calling out because I think Mr. Rogers is a national treasure, and I, I love that show, and I love the messaging. And actually, it wasn't as diverse as Sesame Street, but he did go out of his way to hire, you oh, know, yes. officer, what's his name? It was African-American and the whole sharing a kiddie pool, putting your feet in the kiddie pool to send a message about racism and was really powerful. So I don't think that's necessarily who they were like impugning mm-hmm. when they say this, because, but a lot of it was like loud clown shows and shit, you know what I mean? Like, and then the cartoons that we all grew up with, which, you know, could be pretty violent. So they want to do something that was more educational and calming and whatever, but also entertaining. So the first thing they did is Cooney and Morissette formed the Children's Television Workshop and conducted research for two years. And this was funded by um, money for $8 million, which is a lot of money today. That's like $56 million today. Uh, That money was from the Carnegie Foundation, the Ford Foundation, and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, as well as federal funds. Now, I have a quote here that I thought was interesting. Featuring Jim Henson's Muppets animation, live shorts, humor, and celebrity appearances, it was the first television program of its kind to base its content and production values on laboratory and formative research, and the first to include a curriculum detailed or stated in terms of measurable outcomes. So they actually like studied the best way to teach a child in this medium and what children respond to best and, and how best they can absorb uh, information. So Cooney was appointed executive director of Children's Television Workshop. And she was one of the first female executive directors of, t- of television, which is a big deal. From early on, Sesame Street has sought to address tolerance of diversity, non-aggressive problem solving, and social competence. Uh, there was no host, unlike most other programs, um, instead relying on a deliberately diverse lead team of actors. And, and they were reliable, you know, you got to know them. There were also non-actor children, like just real kids. And that's part of the charm of, of that show is that when the kids talk on it, they're so cute. They just sound like goofy little kids that have a camera turned on them. Because Sesame Street's target audiences included children of color from inner cities and low-income households, they wanted to deliberately set it in an inner city setting. So it's not, it's actually not supposed to be New York City. It's any city, you know, USA, basically, like an urban setting which was completely revolutionary at the time. Uh, the title for the show is based on the famous magical phrase from Alibaba stories, Open Sesame. Oh, it won over 150 Emmys. Yes, yeah, that's crazy. I didn't know that. Bananas. I mean, it's been on forever, yeah. but still. So I was trying to think of my favorite uh, moment from Sesame Street. So I have several that I can just think of. that I, These are not ones that, I've, that have gone viral. They're just actually embedded in my brain. And I looked them up before this episode. One was a really cute sort of like how things are made clip that's taught. It doesn't have any talking or anything. It's a little girl's coloring with crayons and she holds up an orange crayon and she looks at it and then the camera pans and it pans to a crayon factory and it shows how crayons are made. Okay. I love that as a kid. I thought it was so interesting. The weird thing with Sesame Street is, and I think a lot of my memories, I mix them up with pinwheel. Oh, I love pinwheel. pinwheel yeah. So pinwheel. I think a lot of yeah. pinwheel definitely is embedded. In- What's the, there's a couple other ones too. Um, like the electric company. I didn't, and, get, I, didn't um, I didn't 
get into that, uh, but definitely Pinwheel and Sesame Street. But I, I kind of. You're conflating yeah, sometimes. Yeah, I definitely. Even when I was thinking about this, I was like, I'm not thinking of Sesame Street. I'm thinking of Pinwheel. Yeah. The favorite one in my family, though, is the. Do you remember this one? It's a little girl who's being sent to the, the corner store. This would never happen. They would never air this today. She's sent to the grocery store. She's probably four. We, quote, we quoted that forever in my house. Yes, we did Still too. Do. Like that was like a running gag. Yeah. Like I need to go to the convenience market. If my you know, mom whatever. ever was sending us up the street to get something. We were like a loaf of bread, a, car, a container, a container of milk, a, stick of and a stick of butter. <laughs> she says it over and over again. Yeah, over and, and over again. Over like, and over again. Basic. Cartoon, oh, she's so cute. Cartoon drawing. So it's. She's skipping. Remember, she's skipping. And she's and just it's, repeating it over and over again. It's like sketch art. Yeah. The one that I always remembered is um, I love near and far with Grover. Oh, yeah. I like <laughs> love that. And then the other one I loved, which I didn't realize was the Pointer Sisters, was the pinball machine one with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Like, I, I still say it was the Pointer Sisters. I looked it up, but it was totally... So I love the Pointer Sisters. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's so awesome. And you know, people listening who are like, what the fuck are these old farts talking about? Just go on YouTube. Most of them are on there. You can and watch you can most still, of them. Like, you can get like on our Roku, there's like a PBS app and you can still watch the old Sesame Streets. But the- um, Even though like, even the ones that are like, I mean, that little girl going to the market alone is probably, yeah, that. would they air that? They wouldn't air know. that today, right? But there's still, I mean, there's still some good, like there's recent ones that I watch. And there's like the one, um, do you know who Sutton Foster is? She's like a, bar- no. a Broadway actress. She was in that TV show oh. Younger, um, where she's like the older woman playing, like she's trying to get a job, but she's pretending she's like, oh, yes. So she was on Sesame Street and she does this song called a, I'm a Lever Lover. So it's all about levers. <laughs> and the song, I loved it. Like it was just this one episode of that song totally got stuck in my brain and Marin loved it. And I'm like, yeah. that's the thing. It's like a, just gets embedded in your skull and like the way she's dancing and the song is so silly and it's all about stupid levers yeah but, that's so she's cute just singing around the, the neighborhood about levers but they had great celebrity guests yeah, they still do i mean like even the, the, the recent ones like natalie portman's on there like everybody like adam sandler they still have all everyone's still on there we didn't have Elmo when we were kids. Like that's, he's fairly, well, not new, but he's new to us. But I remember when my niece was a baby or a toddler, she loved Elmo. And I remember there was an Elmo one where it's Andrea Bocelli. Oh yeah. And they're singing. singing. He's singing to, him, to the <laughs> tune to, of, I will go, I will go with you. Is that what? Is that what, but he's, is that the one where he's putting him to bed? Yes. Yeah, yes. Uh-huh. I love that. Uh, yeah. No, there's, it's, it's still great. And then I also loved, oh, and I still sing C is for cookie. Yeah, I that's mean, I great. I still sing that. So I, mean, I love Cookie Monster. Yeah, he's great. I mean, I know he violently eats all his food, but I think he's funny. Yeah, so I love Sesame Street. American Institution. Anyway, do you want to head on down to the rec room? Sure, let's do it. We finished Only Murders in the Building. You're oh. right. The finale was great. <laughs> Um, Steve Martin was, it was, I love his physical comedy anyway, but like, didn't it kind of remind you of Rupert from, yes. um, <laughs> yes. that's what he said. when he's in that, like, yeah. that little carriage and they're pushing him hundred He's like all little and yeah. shrunken in. Oh God, it's so funny. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was great. But didn't you like that whole episode when it was through the, uh, the death? Yeah, that yeah, was great. So Daniel cool. loved clever. that. He was like, that was so clever. I know. Like, it was very good. Very good. 
I thought that was a, a show that was worth sticking with. And I'm down for season two. I mean, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for that recommendation. And mm-hmm. then we are wrapping up Reservation Dogs. Have you heard of this? It's a mm-hmm. comedy. It's great. It's Taika Waititi and it, it's a series and it's about teens living on a reservation in Oklahoma. And they are just so funny, like kind of, it's like Goonies vibes because they're kind of smart assy and troublemaker, but they're smart and funny. Um, <laughs> why do I never know? <laughs> I'll look it up. I'm going to text it to myself. So I have uh, Hulu. It's Hulu. Oh, okay. There's this smart ass girl. That's like, I just love her. She's in my day. We would have called her a tomboy, but she's like so cute and funny. And then the, one of the girls is named Elora Dannon. Wait, what's that from? Elora I'm not D- named her after the baby in Willow. That's right. I, like, <laughs> I flipped out when they said her name. I was like, what? I know. So you said, I was like, I should know what that's from. Yeah. It's great. That is so cute. it's very charming and it's it's has some, you know, important and interesting messaging about indigenous people, but it's just very clever and funny and and well done and well written and everything. So that one's that's great. We're almost done with that. And um, we just started the BBC. Did you watch? Are you a Pride and Prejudice fan? Did, I know you read the book, right? No, I never read Pride. I never tackled. I, never I had to read tackled. in school. No, we. I don't know why I how I got out of that. But no. So I did you see all the movies or adaptations? I've seen a couple of them. Yes. Okay. So we, we're watching. I I love the Kieran Knightley one. Oh, I love that one. Yeah. And I watched the really old one too. Like, I don't even know what year that was. Like the, the, the old, old one that's famous. But I, we are now watching the BBC series from 95. Oh. Colin Firth is the Mr. Darcy and Jennifer, is it Eel? Is that her name? I don't, e- I, she's L-E. one of those actresses where you know her face, but I never yeah. really known her name. Yeah, and it's already very good. So we've only watched one episode, but did you watch the second season of Ted Lasso? No, not yet. Why was that? What? There's some reason we couldn't get to it or something. Apple sucks, and every once in a while, yeah, you can't no, get on the really. damn channel. Yeah, um, there's some reason we couldn't get to it. I can't remember. The only thing I've been falling asleep with Eileen the past few weeks, so I haven't been up. But we started watching Squid Game, which everyone's been watching. Daniel started watching that without me. And I was like, why are you watching it without me? Everyone's talking about it. And I don't get it. And he's like, there's no way you would like it. Cause he says it's, 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 it's over the top. Yeah. And I don't, I, I, we're watching it now just out of like sheer curiosity of like who's going to win it, but it's not like I'm watching it. This is great. This is groundbreaking TV. Like it's more just, it's totally gory and it's, yeah. it's just a, it's a bloodbath. That Daniel was like, I just don't think you should watch it. And I think, I think it might like give you nightmares or whatever. So. Yeah, it's yeah. You're, you're not missing anything. Okay. And it's dumped, which is oh, really? the worst. So we're probably missing. Oh, you're so- watching. See, Daniel found the non-dubbed version. He's watching it with subtitles. I wish we were doing that. So we started watching the dubbed one, which is so. I'm we're probably missing so much of it with this bullshit dubbing. It's stupid I'm voices. Sure- it's always so dumb. Yeah, it's probably not. You know, it's you know, you always it's not a hundred percent accurate of what they're right. You know, the translation isn't. Yeah. Okay. Oh, and I, I have to say, like, if to our listeners, if you like what you hear, it would really help us out, like in search results and things like that. If you rate, review and subscribe, we'd really, really appreciate it. And we appreciate you listening right now. Yeah, thank you. Well, until until next time, man. Okay, have a good weekend. You too. Talk to you later. Bye.